Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. John chapter 4 verse 42 to chapter 5 verse 15. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. After the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with uh, the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is covered by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, but Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Everybody, it's great to see you. My name is Howard. I'm the pastor here at Westminster Chapel, and everyone is welcome in our church family. I deliberately start that way. Maybe you're getting a bit bored of that in sign language because we truly want to be a church that is open, accessible, and available to everyone. You have joined us on week nine of our series, Amazing Love. It's a deep dive into John's first century biography written about the person of Jesus Christ. And as you picked up, the theme is healing. And I just want to begin with a confession um, to start us off with. 
And that is that I have not been stepping out in faith in this area over the last year in the way that I used to. Maybe that's because of living through a pandemic. Maybe that's because of busyness and wrong priorities. Um, It could be a whole number of reasons, but I feel like I've been on the back foot rather than the front foot in this whole area. And and maybe you could identify with that. Maybe you'd sort of feel and say, yeah, I I think so. I was reminded in preparing this sermon of my 40th birthday party. And at my 40th birthday party, a few people shared some words. And unexpectedly, my mother-in-law got up to share. Always a bit of a nervous moment when your mother-in-law has a microphone and she's going to talk about you. And she began by saying, she knows I like Star Wars, uh, and this is why I'm wearing my t-shirt today. Um, She began by likening me to the Millennium Falcon, which happens to be my favorite ship in Star Wars. It's great. I love that. But she said, he's like the Millennium Falcon. He looks a little bit old and tired and unimpressive on the outside. But when you get to know him, he's surprisingly good. I was like, I don't know if that's a criticism or a compliment. I'm confused. But anyway, that's how she introduced sort of the story. And then she went on to describe how she had sneakily been watching one morning. She'd stayed over the night. She very kindly looks after our kids. She's fantastic like that. And she'd slept over. And in the mornings, on Tuesday mornings, we would typically get our Tesco food delivery order very early in the morning. And the guy's coming up. But this guy who's, uh, who's come to deliver food that day, he doesn't seem very well to me. So I'm taking the crates and I'm unpacking them in the kitchen. And I'm sort of having a conversation with myself in my head. Shall I offer to pray for this guy? or ask him what's wrong. I eventually do that and I I say to him, are you okay? And he says, my back is killing me today. And I just say to him, could I pray for you? I'm a Christian. I pastor a church. I believe in God's power to heal. And we were just instinctive, and I prayed for him. I didn't know that my mother-in-law was kind of hiding almost in the room, listening to all of that going on. I'm just saying, I used to do a lot more of that than I've been doing in the last year. It's just more of a habit, but because of the pandemic maybe and priorities and things like that, I've, I've got out of the rhythm of stepping in to believing that God can heal today and expecting him to use me to do that. And maybe that's true of you as well. In the past, I have seen some extraordinary healings. I had a season where, I can't remember now whether it was the left or the right knee, but it was like I just had some kind of ability to heal knees. God gave it, I don't know what was going on, but knees just kept coming and knees just were being healed. I've seen people's backs dramatically healed. I've seen legs lengthened. And I feel like I'm of a generation that has seen less than the generation that went before. And I'm concerned about the generation that is coming through, about them not seeing enough of that in my generation. And so they don't see God at work on the move, moving in power. They don't see what happened in the book of Acts happening in their reality today. And I hunger for that. Don't you? I hunger for that. I want to see something of that. I want the next generation to see something of that. Not to say, oh, that doesn't, that's only in the past now. No. And in this season, we believe that God is kind of rebirthing us out of the pandemic. He's kind of, we're being born again as a church. 
and it's quite exciting. And he's speaking to us about no longer rowing in the flesh in our own human effort, but about hoisting the sails so that we're going to sail in the power of the Spirit, that the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to guide us and we're going to be led by him in that. That we're moving from having been on the back foot to be on the front foot. Now, both these passages have one very obvious common theme. I'm sure you noticed it. They're both healings. But I want to move a bit further forward in John's Gospel to chapter 14 to verse 12. And here Jesus says to his disciples and he says to us today, if you believe in me, you'll not only do the works that I did, you will do even greater things than these. Did you hear that? Even greater things. That's an extraordinary statement. Maybe it greets you here today and you're like, I don't believe it. I just don't. It's just too much. I'm skeptical about that. What would that look like? Is that volume? Is that more impressive miracles? What's going on there? And in an age where we've grown up, we live in this sort of secular society that's anti-supernatural and we're like sponges it's it's almost impossible not to absorb its kind of polluted waters which says oh just materialism is all that there is the supernatural is a nonsense it's a fiction it's just made up stuff or you might be of a personality type that just finds it really hard to believe this kind of stuff that it still happens today right you, maybe you're like me I, I, I'm a lawyer by background, and I have this kind of like, show me the evidence, otherwise I'm not going to believe. <laughs> I'm very much like doubting Thomas in that sense. It's like, where's the evidence? I want evidence for miracles, don't you? I want evidence for the existence of God. I want evidence for the reliability of the Bible. And so, if that's you, I'm going to serve you in that with a little bit of evidence for the reliability of the Scriptures. And it comes in chapter 5, verse 2, in the mention of the pool of Bethesda. Here's what it looks like, more or less, today. It is an actual, historical place. What's particularly puzzling about its description is it says it has five porticos. It's sort of like five columned sides. Now, that was considered to be a completely non-historical archaeological fact. Where for decade upon decade, people said the Bible is just wrong about that. You know, pools, they would be a square or a rectangle, they'd only have four sides. And they were quite confident, no, the Bible's just wrong. One of these many things that the Bible gets wrong, it's nonsense, it's not true, it's not like that, they just made that all up, all that kind of stuff like that. Until they excavated the site and then did further study on the site and they discovered that it was actually two basins, one slightly higher than another, with hey, a portico in between them. So is now all the sides which make four plus one in the middle equals five. It is a five-sided pool and the Bible is proved once again when people had said it was wrong, is proved absolutely right. I could tell you many, many, many more examples of this. I don't have time, but if you keep coming, you'll discover more. The reliability and the trustworthiness of God's word, even in the face of people who said it's wrong. It's wrong. So I'm going to make four points now that are going to hopefully stir us to press in towards healing. Healing, to either come forward to receive prayer for healing or to actually operate 
by offering healing to others if you're a believer. The first of those points is this. Refuse to be put off. Refuse to be put off. Now, there are so many different reasons why people can get put off from this whole area. One of those straight away would be, and I've mentioned it, the kind of supernatural stuff. And this is just so hard to believe. I think some people, sometimes we just so don't believe in the supernatural that therefore healings are impossible. But if God is real and he's a supernatural God, then supernatural things should happen. They should follow, right? And if we assume that supernatural things can't happen or that God doesn't exist and he's not supernatural, we've already been biased or prejudiced against him. We've already made up our minds before walking in this morning. I just assumed no healings don't happen. Oh, ooh, that's, a, that's quite a big presumption or, or judgment, isn't it? Maybe you should have more of an open mind about that. Another reason why people are put off in this area, and I think it's understandable, is because of abuse and misuse of the gift of healing. Could be inappropriate touching, could be people being pushed over. It's all wrong and it's all ugly. And we need to have right safeguards in this church. We would, we would be really careful about that kind of thing. We would say that men and, and men should only do ministry together and women and women. We try and guide that. We have leaders that there's a sense of accountability. We have a safeguarding policy, that sort of thing. Another area of abuse would be leaders who say everyone should be healed. And if you don't get healed, there's something wrong with you. It's like you've got a lack of faith. That is so wrong. It's not true at all. If you read the whole of the Bible very clearly, we have what we might call a doctrine of healing. Yes, people get healed. But there's also a doctrine of suffering. And God is at work in the suffering. Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda. There were lots of people who were injured and sick and ill, but he only healed one. Jesus' followers and his disciples will talk about sharing and having fellowship in the sufferings of Christ through their own sufferings. So there's a purpose in their experience of suffering that connects them somehow to understand more the ministry of Christ dying for them on the cross. The Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, talked about having a thorn in his side, a constant suffering reminder that helped him see that in his weakness, God is strong. Oh, I think of a man called Epaphroditus. He's described in a letter to a church in Philippi as a man who nearly died from burnout and extreme physical emotional exhaustion in ministry. He suffered. So there is a place for suffering and there's a place for healing. And God can work for good through suffering for those who trust him and those who love him. And we can be sure of that because he did that at the cross. He turned the greatest evil his suffering and death into the greatest good, salvation from sin. Why couldn't he do that with our lives if we trust him, that there's purpose at work? I can tell you about an amazing lady called Joni Erickson Tarda. There's a book of hers, A Place of Healing. Wonderful book. I, I highly recommend it. 
She was a woman who very sadly had an injury when she was young that broke her neck, that made her have quadriplegia for the rest of her life. She was unable to move her body. Yet she remarkably would thank God for her disability because she would say, without it, I wouldn't know him in the way that I know him now. I wouldn't have been able to be used by him to comfort literally hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Her life says, Christ is enough for me, even though I can't walk. He makes up for all of that, and he will do in eternity. He is enough. There is a place for suffering, and there's a place for healing in the body of Christ. We have to hold these things together. But some sadly said to Joni, they said, ah, you know, you're just sick because you don't have enough faith. You're still, you know, so can I pray for you? If I just prayed for you, but, but actually God was at work with a different purpose in her life. We need to be really careful about trying to diagnose the cause of a person's sickness and suffering. Jesus says it could come as a result of sin, and I think we see that. It's kind of common sense, isn't it? That a person who has unprotected sex with lots and lots of people is probably going to get ill and sick, right? With STDs and all of that sort of stuff. So there is a, an outworking that it can be a con- sickness can be a consequence of a sinful lifestyle, but equally he'll say later in John chapter 9 that it might have nothing to do with sin whatsoever. So we've got to be really careful Right about not being judgmental in this whole area. We want to refuse to be put off, though. To not let past abuse stop present good use of the ministry of healing. I think the most common reason today why we don't press into this would be disappointment. Unanswered prayers. And I just want to encourage you, today's a new day. Dust it off and let's go again. Because that's what God is saying through this passage. You may not have noticed the connection, but in chapter 4, I think it's in verse 54, we're told that this is the second sign in John's gospel. This is really interesting because he's describing certain passages and he's connecting and linking these narratives together. And then he says that actually this is uh, the sequel to the first sign which happened at the wedding at Cana. Now he's using deliberate language to describe these two particular signs and he's linking them together because they have points of commonality in their stories that they help interpret each other. What's the relevant point of similarity to us? It's refusing to be put off. Jesus' mother, Mary, came to him and said, they're going to run out of wine. This is a real problem. Can you do something about it? And Jesus sort of says, no, mom, my time hasn't come. She goes, oh, okay, well, never mind. She goes to the servants, get this, and says, do whatever he tells you. It's like she's totally not put off. She says, I know my son. He may have said that, but I know my son, and he'll want to do something about this. And then we have here, a royal official comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, without signs and wonders, you lot never believe. It's almost like a rebuff. And he says, please come and heal my son. He's going to die unless you come. He 
He's not put off. This reminds me of the parable of the persistent widow, Luke's biography, chapter 18, where this woman is described being persistent to an unjust judge who's completely not like God. It's, 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 a, it's a contrast, but the widow keeps coming again and again. She never gives up because through her persistence, she'll wear this judge down and he will do what she asks her to do. And we're being told to, to do that, but towards God, the just judge, don't give up. And then at the end of the parable, it's brilliant. It says, Will Jesus find faith on the earth when he comes again? Faith. Do we believe in the character of God? No matter what we see going on, that his heart is to heal. He cares about the whole person. Not just their soul, but their whole being. He wants their whole total wellness. He's full of compassion for them. So we may feel like it's not working, it's put off, but no, I'm going to press in because I believe I've got faith in his character, in his heart. That's the first point. Refuse to be put off. The second point is look with compassion. If we want to see more healings, compassion must increase and our judgmentalism must decrease. Jesus heals probably a posh, wealthy, royal official who worked for the Herodian kind of governmental team. Herod, not a nice guy, by the way. He's a baddie, right? Worse, he, that whole government, is in league, is sold out to the Romans, this oppressing force who are taxing the poor nearly to death. Now, I would be tempted if I was Jesus, like, I ain't, I'm not healing you. You're, you're a bad person. I don't like you. You're wealthy. You go pay someone to sort yourself out. You, don't, you just, But he doesn't. He's full of compassion. At that end of the spectrum, and then at the other, here is a poor invalid. Does Jesus say, well, where's your family? It's not on me to help you. What about your family? What about your friends? They've got a responsibility towards you. What about this community, the place where you live? Why aren't they helping you? But he cared enough to press in to find out this man had no one. And Jesus moved with compassion. These ideas that there are people who are somehow worthy of our help and those who are unworthy of our help is utter nonsense. Certain phrases that you might hear that go around, that there is the deserving and the undeserving poor, or the deserving or the undeserving rich. I don't think they should be allowed on the lips of a Christian. We should be moving with God's heart of compassion to everybody without discrimination in the same way that he does. What I so love about this passage is this phrase where it says, Jesus saw him. Did you see that? Jesus saw him. It's a compassionate seeing, a loving seeing. It's not just that he noticed him, it's that he saw him. He saw his situation. He saw his pain. He saw the condition that he was in. He saw his need. He saw his struggle and frustration. 
And this reminds us of what we've seen so far in this gospel story. He saw Nathaniel supernaturally under the fig tree. And it was an amazing moment. <laughs> Nathaniel's like, Some, somebody now sees me, hallelujah. And he saw the woman at the well in her shame and in her suffering. And that reminded us going all the way back to Hagar, which the woman at the well is the same story of. Of this woman who is in shame and struggle and desperation and God saw her and she said, he is the God who sees me. Wow. He sees you. God is here right now. He sees you. You're not forgotten. You're not hidden to him. He sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your struggle. He sees your suffering. And he is moved with compassion towards you. And this word compassion, it's a gut level thing. It's deep. And when Jesus is moved with compassion, things start to happen. It comes all the time in the scriptures. In Matthew's biography about Jesus, uh, chapter 14, chapters 15, it says that he's moved with compassion and then he heals the sick. He's moved with compassion and then he performs this extraordinary miracle of feeding the 5,000. It's amazing. Compassion unlocks the well of divine healing. Do you see people the way God sees them? Do you feel his heart for them? Do you feel that pain, that struggle? Sometimes I think we try to distance ourselves from it. We feel it there, but it's perhaps too much to, to carry. I think God would say, my grace will help you carry the burden of my heart today. He'll strengthen you in your inner being to feel what he feels. It's when we move out of love, when we move out of compassion, that I believe God breaks through in power. Jesus then in verse six, he asks the man at the pool of Bethesda a question. Do you want to get well? Such an interesting question, isn't it? I think it's a challenge and an invitation. It's a challenge to all that might have resigned himself just to say, I just give up, nothing's ever gonna change for me. And the question sort of starts to invite him out of that, starts to lift him. What, what could change? Do you want to get well? I, I can offer you help. Will you, will you receive that from me? And maybe you're here today and Jesus is asking you that question. You know that there's a sickness, a deep ache or a pain in your soul. It could be a physical condition. It could be emotional. And Jesus is saying to you, do you, do you want to get well? And he's not trying to condemn you in that. He's trying to help you to see you don't have to Live resigned to that. Because even if he won't heal you physically, he'll give you a grace to live with that and understand something more of what's going on in your suffering. But we could rephrase this question. Do you want to see people healed? Do you? Do you want to come out of just accepting the status quo for the way things are? As far as I know, Jesus has never rescinded that. Even greater things will happen, but only up until the third century. Do you want to see Jesus move in power and his name glorified through the ministry of healing? There's an invitation. Let's take hold of it. Let's accept it. How do we do that? Well, one of the ways 
I think, as we believe in his power. Have fresh faith for what he can do. This is the third point. God's words have power, right? We see that right at the beginning in creation. God spoke, and it was so. He creates, doesn't he? And he simply says, God spoke, and it was so. God spoke, and it was so. God spoke, and it was so. We're meant to understand from that, his word has power. The pulsating heart of our planet is the power of God's word to create. His word is powerful. His word is so powerful in this passage. Did you, did you see it? In the first instance, Jesus says simply this, your son will be healed. That's it. And then we discover only later, at that exact time, that exact time that he said those words, at a distance way further away, that royal official's son was instantly healed. Jesus said it over here. It happened over here at the exact moment. Such is the power of his word. And it was so amazing to the people who were going like, that, that, that's when it happened. The royal official. And they're like, no way. This is incredible. Jesus is God. We're going to all become believers. And the entire household came to faith because they saw the sign of the healing point towards the identity of the Savior, Jesus Christ. They moved from simply a physical healing to a soul salvation. Wow. At the exact time. At the exact time. And then Jesus says to the man at the pool, get up. And then we read at once, at once, at once. He was cured. No delay. His word has power. He is, after all, we're told, the word of God. Do you believe that? We've been studying his word now. It has power. It's alive. It's living and active. It's doing something to you as it's read to you, as you're thinking about it. It's refining you. It's transforming you. You're interacting with it. It's reading you as much as you're reading it and understanding it. It's alive with power. Do we honor the word in this way? Do you read it? Do you let it shape you and move you as you meet with the living God through it that it has power, power to transform you and to change you from one degree of glory to another because it's not just human words, it's the word of God. The royal official, chapter 4, verse 50, he took Jesus at his word. He took Jesus at his word. There was a time when I was really into tennis. Um, it's a bit more of a lighthearted moment. You look like you might, you might need it. Um, I, I got, not be arrogant, I got pretty good at tennis. I got to like university first team. My dad couldn't play tennis though, and he wanted to have a kind of relationship with me around tennis. So he actually took tennis lessons so that he could play with me and coach me. What an amazing dad. Great example of good parenting. Um, but I, as a sort of slightly grumpy teenager, found some of his coaching really annoying. 
Because he would play, you know, be playing against me and I, I would be quite a bit better than him. And he would just try and give me advice and say something. Oh, come on, your footwork. Your, your footwork, you're not on your toes. You're not moving fast enough. So you're getting to the ball a little bit late and then you're behind and you're not able to really attack it in the way that you should. And I would just be like, oh, dad, I don't, I don't need that. I'll be fine. But as soon as I started taking him at his word, do you know what happened? I started to move faster, hit better shots, win more matches. Wow. If it works at that level, how much more does it work if they're not the words of an earthly dad, but God, our Father in heaven? Do you take him at his word? Will you take him at his word? Let me go back and just remind you. Jesus said, his people will do even greater things than these. Do you believe it? Will you take him at his word on that? Even greater things. That's something that is joined in these first signs, second sign, wedding at Cana, and now the healing at the pool. Sorry, the royal, royal official son's um, healing. There's something that's common in them, and it's this God exceeding expectations. Did you notice that? The wedding at Cana, Jesus needs to make a little bit of wine just to keep the wedding going. And so what does he do? He makes between 600 and 1,000 bottles of wine. It's abundance. It's insane generosity. And of course, it expresses the blood that he will shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, the communion, the wine, all of that sort of stuff is there. But we just see that he exceeds expectations. He goes way, way beyond what was necessary. And now here is a miracle of the royal official son, and he, he exceeds expectations again, because they think, I'm gonna, you're going to have to come with me to my son to physically lay hands on him to heal him. And Jesus says, uh-uh, I can do it just with words like that, boom, and way over there, this person, this boy is healed. He exceeds, he goes beyond, he does immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. It was a, some years ago, I remember getting excited about praying for healing, and I prayed for somebody over here somewhere, and they came forward and they said, I've got this condition. And we just in faith kind of laid hands and prayed for her in that moment. And then afterwards, she said she was not only healed of that condition, but there was this other condition that she never even said about that got healed. I had no idea, didn't even pray for that, but God did immeasurably more than I asked or even imagined in that moment that that woman got more than she was hoping for from God. That's the kind of God that I believe in. That's what he's like. That's what he's trying to get us to see, to have faith, to believe in his power. And then here's the final point. Disappear into the crowd. Verse 13. I love this about Jesus. It says he just slipped away. <laughs> just done this amazing thing. Just slips away into the crowd. He wasn't about making his own name great. He was primarily about doing the will of the Father and the timings that the Father had set. He came not to be served, but to serve. He prays just hours before the agony of the cross, not my will be done, but your will be done, as he goes to die for you, to pay for your sins. That even though you deserve death and judgment, that through his love you can live with him forever, simply through faith. That's his heart. Humility, 
He made himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. Did you get that? Death, even death on a cross, the ultimate shaming tool. The ultimate, you're rubbish. We mock you tool, as well as terrible physical agony. In humility, he chose that for us. The kind of people I believe God wants to use are the humble. He wants to raise up the humble and bring down the proud. He wants to clothe with power those who want to make his name great, not their own great. He wants us to live for his glory, to disappear into the crowd, to do extraordinary things for him, but not that people would think anything of us, but they would think everything of him. And those are the kinds of people he's going to anoint with power. And the key purpose of all of this is to show people where true healing is found. It's a sign. Healings point to Jesus and they point to his eternity where there will be no sin, sickness, suffering or death. The place of perfect healing, guaranteed forever. The royal officials family, they got that. Now I want to be there no matter what. Have you? You're looking for evidence today maybe. I pray that God would move in these next few moments and move in power to demonstrate to you, if you don't yet know him, that he is God, that he is full of compassion. He is here not just to physically heal you, but to save you, to spiritually heal you, to heal your soul. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to disappear into the crowd of some wonderful people who we're going to invite up as the band, if you could come up as well. And they're going to bring some words, some impressions that they have about particular conditions that may need healing in this place, particular um, issues or just a testimony to encourage and stir us in faith. So if that's you, Andy's going to get the mic to you and you're just going to come on stage and and lead us just one after another kind of quick fire. Uh, We're going to go for it. And if there's anybody else, you kind of know who you are, shoulder tapped. But there might be other moments throughout this service. We want to hear from God and just stir our faith for what he might do in these moments. But just before we do, I'm going to pray and ask him to increase his presence. Lord, we just thank you that you're here. And we would ask that your power is present to do what you want to do, to let every person in this room and online feel seen, feel known, that they are loved by you, that they matter, that they matter so much you came to die for them. So come, Lord, reveal your power, reveal your glory. Fill this place with your presence. Release the gift of healing today to point people to you, the Savior, to point people to eternity. Ease suffering, ease trial, ease struggle, and help us to refuse to be put off. Fill us with your heart and compassion. Help us to believe in your power and help us to have the humility to completely disappear into the crowd. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. 
If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.